Pacific Northwest in the shadow of Mount St. Helens near the shores of the mighty Columbia River. This is Blood and Popcorn. I am your host, Eric. Ah, uh, welcome to the first podcast of 2023. Man, once we hit September, it just goes pretty quick, doesn't it? Because it feels like September 1st, you know, is, you know, is the official kickoff of the beginning of the spooky season, you know, for Halloween. And so, like, all during September, like, we're on um, Spirit Halloween Watch. So your local Spirit Halloween is opening. Uh, and then we're all, it's just this buildup, right? And then you get to October, and then it kind of goes fast once you actually get to October 1st. Um and then we get into November, and like the first couple weeks of November, you're still trying to cling to that spooky season spirit. And then uh, suddenly it's Thanksgiving, and then bam, it's Christmas and, and New Year's, and it just goes by fast. So welcome to 2023. Um, no, I did not do a year-end wrap-up like everyone else, which is kind of why I don't do them, because um, everyone's doing them. I didn't do a best of 2022, and God forbid I did not do a worst of 2022 list, unless I draw the ire of film Twitter for daring to assemble a list of disappointing films. Which one is it? What is it with that, exactly? I first noticed this backlash against worst film lists, maybe I guess like three years ago, and now it's at this fever pitch. And I always hear the same argument about it. Um, People work really, really hard on films, and nobody sets out to make a bad film. Really? People work really, really hard to make a film. You don't say. Well, a lot of people work hard. <laughs> people work hard to make and bring you your food in a restaurant, but that doesn't stop you from leaving a shitty Yelp review if the food or the service doesn't meet your expectations. Or dragging a company publicly on Twitter if the service isn't good. Or if your 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 luggage gets lost. Wanna talk about people who who work hard? People who work in the airline industry work at airports and work for the airlines themselves, they bust their asses all day long. Yet I see people dragging air industry employees on social media nonstop. So what the hell makes filmmakers exempt from the same kind of treatment? And I say this as a filmmaker. Right? When you make a film, when you write a film, you do your best. You know, Just like the aforementioned restaurant employees. And when you deliver your product, people will either like it, or they'll add it to their list of terrible products to never use again. So, no, I'm not buying into this narrative that worst of lists are bad because people work really, really hard. And nobody sets out to make a bad movie. I mean, sure, I don't think anybody sets out to make a bad movie. I hope. But, you know, people can certainly make a lazy movie. You know, people can certainly make a cynical cash grab movie that lacks any sort of passion and, you know, barely passes for art. I mean, you're trying to tell me that Francis Ford Coppola put the same amount of energy and passion into Charlie, that movie starring Wilbur Williams, that he did The Godfather, or The Conversation, Apocalypse Now, Godfather 2, because I don't see it. And I love Francis. He's done some all-time classic work. I love Coppola. Uh, left there, like his wine, too. Um, uh, but um, The Claret. The Claret's like one of my go-to Coppola wines. So, I mean, I think the conversation is an underrated gem, and I, and I don't like to use the word underrated. So in this particular context, I think people who are really into film, you know, cinephiles, understand its greatness. But to the public at large, I suspect they're hardly aware of it as one of the stellar works in, in his filmography. But Charlie? No. Charlie is how you buy more acreage for the vineyard in Northern California. And I don't mean to single Francis out. Um, a lot of filmmakers find themselves in that space. You know, you do what you have to do to survive, and that's fine. Sometimes it's just a job. 
But sometimes it's easy to tell when it's just a job because the film lacks a certain snap, right? It just kind of comes up short. It just feels, I don't know, synthetic, I guess. You know, it feels like McDonald's as opposed to a fine, you know, a fine meal in a, uh, by a qualified chef. So filmmakers are not special or above criticism, which would in fact include worthless, okay? Now, that being said, there are probably better ways to spend your time than sitting down and creating a list of your worst viewing experiences. I mean, I don't ever recall seeing a worst restaurants of the year list, so I can think of better ways to spend one's time, but that's, uh, that's just me. Okay, rant over. That one was bothering me. Let's get the topic, which is PG-13 horror. Uh, oh, what am I drinking? Uh, I am drinking uh, an Italian espresso this morning. Um, I love coffee, and I have a couple espresso makers. I have a stovetop one, and then um, I have a Nespresso machine. I used to have a straight-up espresso machine that has the frother built into it. It's a little bulky, um, so I, you know, I shelved it, I tucked it away, and I bought, and I slimmed it down. I got the Nespresso maker, and then I, I got the uh, separate frother, um, the ninety-nine dollar job that just kind of sits next to it. Um, so it's, they both work really good. I like the coffee that comes out of Nespresso is actually really good. I do have to say, um, and sometimes I'll do the stovetop, but today I'm having a nice Italian espresso, and it's quite nice. Okay, PG thirteen horror. Uh, now this subject apparently popped up again several days ago with people ripping on PG-13 horror, uh, probably because the new horror film from Bloomhouse, Megan, um, was opening, which is in fact rated PG-13, and it's actually doing really well at the box office, uh, once again proving horror films in theaters still do very well, which is great because as I talked about in my last podcast, streaming services are in trouble. Um, most are not making money. Um, the ones that are, the margins are very, very thin, so it's a razor's edge. Um, so we should see some consolidation in the sector this this year. And those who don't find a partner to merge with will probably go the way of the RCA video disc player. Um, millennials and Zs might have to look that one up. Are the people out there coveting and collecting the RCA players and the discs the same way they are VCRs and VHS tapes? I'm going to assume probably not because the technology was just so terrible. Um, for the uninitiated, uh, during the uh, during the the '80s video home video boom, RCA came out with this uh, disc player, and it was basically the size of um, a record player, like a phonograph. And the discs themselves were the size of an album. Um, they were thin, you know, and um, and square in the size of an album, so they could store a little slimmer on your bookshelves, uh, on your shelves. That was the that was the selling point. But the problem was is that they could scratch like an album. So you could be watching John Carpenter's The Thing, and be at the scene where Norris's head is about to sprout the crab legs, and the damn thing would skip over it. And there was no way you could get it to play the scene. Um, you'd rewind it, and it would skip it again. And the more you tried to get it to, to play the scene, the worse you would make the skip, and then you'd miss like 10 minutes. So it was terrible technology. I mean, VHS had its issues, but not, not that bad. All right, digressing, I know. Uh, so I find this bashing of PG-13 horror all over again interesting because if now at this point it just kind of feels like one of these purist takes that social media horror guy likes to peacock about. I mean, is there anything worse than a purist? I'm not trying to cast hate toward anybody. I'm really not. But it's, it's the purist mindset that uh, that bothers me. Um, and, in any, and in any paradigm, it's basically just a resistance to change mindset. It's like that coworker who's resistant to a change in policy or method because that's how we've always done it. 
Even if the policy was established in 1945 and is woefully outdated, they want to keep doing it that way because that's how it's always been done. Now, I'm a big believer if in, you know, if it isn't broke, don't fix it. But I'm also a believer in improving systems. And the purest fixed mindset is just an obstacle to change or an obstacle to the exploration of other possibilities. So with PG-13 horror, there are horror purists who seem to think uh, if the film is not rated R, uh, then it's not real horror, which obviously is just a terrible take. It's not true. Um, it's kind of silly, actually. We know that horror comes in all sorts of you know, different, um, different packages different narratives and in how they're told. Now, when there was a time when I did say some negative comments about PG-13 horror, uh, that would have been around 2002 and, 2000 and 2005 in that time period. But the comments were not about the films themselves or declaring that they weren't really horror due to their rating. It was more about the fact that in the wake of the success of The Ring, that's all producers were willing to greenlight and make. So for people unfamiliar with the business, production companies will often send out what are called mandates to Hollywood agencies. And these mandates tell agents what they're looking for and what they're what, trying to accomplish um, that year. And during that time, they were telling agents, don't even send us a horror screenplay if it's going to be rated R. Or if it's an R that cannot be trimmed to a PG-13 cut. We're only looking for horror like The Ring, PG-13. So when I criticized PG-13 horror back then, it was because that's all we were getting. The horror fan who wanted something a little edgier, a little darker, was being ignored. Um, and I felt that narrow focus was leaving a lot of horror fans underserved. So, I mean, I mean it's not unlike Hollywood only wanting superhero movies for the past 15 goddamn years, right? Or reboots of existing IPs because they have a built-in audience. Now, as a, as a businessman and an investor... I get it. You want to invest your money where it will have the greatest potential for positive return. But also, as a businessman and investor, I know if you have all of your apples in one basket and something happens to that basket, you're screwed. You need to diversify. Diversification is not only necessary, it's just good business. You're opening up other revenue streams and potential growth opportunities. But during that time... We did get some good movies that were PG-13. Uh, the Ring is a fantastic American remake of the original Japanese horror film. I think it actually improves on the uh, the story a little bit. It, it kind of gets rid of some of uh, some of the fat um, that you know. Um, I think the U.S. version streamlines a little bit more. Um, the Exorcism of Emily Rose is a great PG-13 horror film, and it's brilliant in how it combines the horror film and the legal thriller. I think that's just really really smart. Uh, the Grudge. Also a U.S. remake of a Japanese horror film. Um, even if it doesn't entirely translate well for a U.S. audience, um, the original, which is great, is very steeped in Japanese culture and lore. And I don't think that comes across very well in the remake. But it's still a good movie. It has some really good really good scares in it. Uh, White Noise for 2005. That's another one with, uh, with Michael Keaton. That's excellent. That's an excellent PG-13 horror film. Um, I think that one kind of flew under the radar, and people should seek that one out. White Noise with Michael Keaton, 2005. Um, and a lot of you love Drag Me to Hell by Sam Raimi. Um, the Others, Insidious. I mean, all the Hammer and Universal classics are far from R-rated material, and they hold up just fine. I also think horror purists may be forgetting the PG-13 horror they may have grown up with, or if they're not 
Gen X or Gen Y horror films that are PG-13 that are now considered classics. Films like The Monster Squad, uh, The Gate, Critters, which created a PG-13 horror franchise in the late 80s and early 90s, Night of the Comet, House 2. The original was rated R, and then the sequel was PG-13, and no one complained about it that I remember um, back in the you know days of Fangoria. Um, was kind of like your only horror outlet. Uh, the Changeling, um, Jaws and Poltergeist were PG. Uh, granted, that was the 70s and early 80s when things were just a little different culturally, but they would definitely be PG-13 today. So those are just the ones that kind of come to my head. Um, and they're all considered classics. So PG-13 horror or horror that's not rated R uh, is nothing new. And the great thing about PG-13 horror is it introduces a younger audience to the genre, the same way R.L. Stein's Goosebumps book series did in the 80s, or, and sorry, in the 90s. Um, are those books not real horror because the target audience is kids and they're not Stephen King books? I mean, during the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, kids were not getting into theaters to see R-rated horror films. All right, they may have caught some on cable at night when mom and dad went to bed, or they were able to sneak one past mom and dad at the video store when there were still video stores uh, because they weren't paying attention, but they weren't getting into theaters. And this is kind of like the era where um, the helicopter parents showed up, and again, like a new, you know, a new pure purism, I guess. These helicopter parents, they were really watching what their kids were watching. Um, you know, because I was watching R rated horror like at the age of yeah, 10, right? So, but, you know, during now, but now during the Wild West of streaming, every kid having their own device, they're probably watching a ton of R-rated content across the board in all genres. So my point is, during that time period of 2002 through 2005, grappling about PG-13 horror was somewhat legitimate. And it didn't have anything to do with the films themselves. It was about an industry only focusing on one audience. And they ultimately paid the price. Like, those PG-13 titles uh, all started to look the same. I mean, it'd be like a really quiet scene, jump scare, blasting sound of music, another really quiet scene, jump scare, blasting sound of music, and it got old. And the natural backlash to that steady stream of PG-13 horror were films like Hostel, The Devil's Rejects, The Hills Have Eyes remake, uh, Wolf Creek, The Saw franchise, and some really screwed up films coming out of France like High Tension. Um, Inside, which is one of my favorites. Them. I mean, you just had this steady stream of hard, hard horror. That was kind of an overcorrection, to be honest, but still, it was expected. Now, in the 2020s, there seems to be a balance. I mean, while you have a PG-13 horror film like Megan being released, you also have Terrifier and Terrifier 2 being made at the same time. You have Barbarian. Smile. The VHS franchise. A Wounded Fawn, the really disturbing works of Ari Aster, Mandy. I mean, peruse the horror titles on any streaming service, especially Shudder, and you'll see a wide variety of R-rated horror for, for new releases. I mean, you have some really good edgy horror being made right alongside these PG-13 titles. So to bash PG-13 horror now, uh, it's just another form of gatekeeping is kind of what it feels like. It's this weird thing we see where some people psychologically need their entertainment choices validated, and they try to find that validation by trying to tear down the things that they don't like, um, or worse, trying to make people feel bad who enjoy those things. 
it's almost like Marvel, DC, and Star Wars bros who lose their shit whenever someone says something even mildly critical about those films. Which, at the end of the day, is just, I don't know, it's just childlike thinking. And again, I'm not criticizing people who like those films, but I am criticizing the behavior that is often associated with fans of those films. So I would say the behavior, you know, of some, not all, um, but there is this weird, you know, dynamic where, where some people just need their um, their viewing choices validated, and sometimes they do it um, rather violently. Um so I'm fine with PG-13 horror as long as the audience who wants edgier horror is also getting served. Because, let's face it, there are people who like horror but, you know, may not really be down with some of the really violent stuff. You know? Um, I mean, look, I've, I've been watching horror since I was a kid in the 70s and I love me some hard R horror. But there was a stretch where, you know, some of that really violent horror, you know, just had a negative effect on me and I shied away from it. Um, it was actually after my third child was born. So when my first was born in 1992, the edgier horror was probably more on the level of Hellraiser. It wasn't about violence. It wasn't a violent stress test, you know. Um, it was about pushing the envelope in a different way. Um, it was about talk, tackling taboos, the things that people do behind their doors they don't talk about, you know, what's under the facade. You know, this there's this presentation of prim and proper society, but what's really going on? You know, there's sexual desires and addictions and the inner demons that thrive within and feed off that addiction. So my horror world at that time was basically, uh, you know, Stephen King, um... You know, Wes Craven, John Carpenter, Romero, Barker, Halloween franchise, Elm Street, Child's Play, Friday the 13th, all of which are kind of on the spectrum of comic bookish horror. I mean, pretty fantastical stuff, you know, contemporary version of what, you know, the universal horror would look like today uh, or how would have, you know, or how those films would have been seen back in the day. So when my first child and my second child uh, were born, I had no issues. But man, when my third in 2005... That was around the time of that backlash, and I was watching Wolf Creek one night, um, and I hadn't seen it before, and it just felt too real, especially in a post-9-11 world and some of the you know disturbing videos we were seeing coming out of the Middle East, and I just started thinking about you know my kids and the big bad world and how you know at some point they were going to be out there on their own, and I wasn't always going to be there to protect them, and I turned the movie off. It was just... It's a little too much in the moment. So I was actually grateful for things like, you know, The Ring and The Grudge and DVD labels like Tartan Extreme, which was allowing me to see some really good Asian horror like Shudder. Phone. Um, Our Point was another one that I thought was really good. Dark Water. Um, so just some really good PG-13 horror. You know, I eventually watched Wolf Creek, and it's, it's a good movie, even if it kind of falls apart in the clutch. Um, it's still a very effective horror film. Um, I also love the television series, which I recommend. Um, Hostel 1 and 2, I really enjoy. But in that moment, that time period where the world was just a little too much and I needed, you know, escapism as opposed to realism, I was glad there was lighter content for me to enjoy and still enjoy my favorite genre. And, and here's the other thing. In the age of streaming, where we have access to just about everything, do film ratings even matter anymore? I actually don't recall the last time I sought out a film's rating the past few years. I mean, ever since my youngest turned 15, um, I, maybe. I mean, I was watching an R-rated... I was watching R-rated films, like I said, around 10. Again, 70s kid, first-generation latchkey kid during the home video and cable explosion. So I watched everything. 
but I don't even look at film ratings anymore. I almost feel like you have to be looking for something to complain about in this day and age where we have access to everything. We have access to a ton of, of everything, right? There's so much to choose from. There's more content than you'll ever be able to finish in your lifetime. I mean, and the thing is, look, in order for a genre to survive and stand the test of time, you need an audience to support it. And if PG-13 horror and elevated horror, which, yes, that's an entirely different conversation of what does elevated horror mean, um, if it means that more people are supporting the genre, then we're all better off for it as fans. And that's a good thing. As horror fans, we pride ourselves on providing a big tent and being accepting of anyone who loves our genre. That's the thing that unifies us. Everything else doesn't matter. Are you a horror fan? I'm a horror fan too. We can be friends. So this gatekeeping, this pure snobbery, a Twitter reply guy attacking someone for liking a PG-13 horror film, that simply will not do.